Once again this morning in Matthew chapter 1, looking at verses 12 through 16, the birth of Jesus Christ, foundation and signet. The lineage of Jesus Christ according to the flesh occurred in this way. Matthew chapter 1 in verse 17, it says that, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. In this way. As the Lord had declared through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 42 and verse 6 when he said, I am the Lord. And I have called you in righteousness, and I will take you by the hand and keep you, and I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold the former things that have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The Lord was telling his people about the Christ that was to come in the word, and he was telling them in genealogy that was being played out before their eyes. The genealogy in Matthew begins with our father Abraham. Not because other men had no knowledge of or had not received the promise, for indeed they had men like Adam and Noah and Shem, but instead it begins with Abraham because Abraham was the first that God gave understanding to. He was the first one that saw the day of Christ and rejoiced. He was given an understanding by which the promise was ordained to grow, to arrive at an ordained eventuality that is being spoken of in the first chapter of Matthew. And so the coming of Christ began in the knowing of men. Abraham was the first to see the promise in a definitive way, but he would not be the last. And so over the last couple of months we have looked in the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew and saw that the birth of Jesus Christ happened in this way. Not in another way, not in an easier way, not in a more socially acceptable way, but in this way. Canaanite prostitutes, Moabite widows, once worshipers of demons, now Yibiru, Hebrew, crossed over once. Canaanite prostitutes and Moabite widows, incest and adultery, not because of men, but in spite of men. For God cannot be stopped. As the psalmist says in 115 in verse 3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And so, after the Canaanites and the Moabites and the adultery and the incest, we finally come to David the king. Solomon his son, the man of war and the man of peace. And a covenant that was made between God and the house of David that said, I will secure your throne and one will sit on it for all eternity. And yet the kings of men declined. The kingdom was shattered and split. The north fell quickly because of their abomination. Judah lasted a couple of generations longer. The Assyrians wiped out Samaria came to the very gates of Jerusalem before they were stopped by God himself. What they could not finish, 
Nebuchadnezzar did. And he carried them off to the darkness of Babylon. From the glory of kings to the depth of captivity. And so in Psalm 137, the psalmist writes this. That by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Can I step away for a moment from the exegesis today and instead preach to you a little bit? Do you set Jerusalem and her promise above your highest joy? Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Lay it bare. Lay it bare. Down to its foundations. Yeah. Foundations indeed. Foundations indeed. When the kings of Israel were removed from their place, the foundation on which the throne set is clearly seen. This morning in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad. And Abiad, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. It was out of this Destruction. It was out of this failure. It was out of people weeping by the rivers of Babylon when their tormentors demanded that in the midst of their misery they show themselves mirthful and sing the songs of Zion. It was in the midst of this that produced the coming, the begotting, the bringing forth of the Christ. It was not lost on the people of God. At least it was not lost upon his men that were turning their hearts to his face to know his will. In the middle of all of this destruction and carrying off to captivity, Daniel knew for certain that the Lord would bring his people back. Look with me, if you will, in Daniel chapter 9. 
In the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, Daniel has been carried off as a young man to Babylon. He has been brought there in captivity and with great peril to his own life over and over and over and over. He has remained faithful to his God and the Lord has provided for him. And here he is, considering the promise that God has made his people and looking at the circumstance that is unfolding before him, he does the thing that only the man of God can do. He turns his heart and his mind to the only place that the people of God can go, and that is to the Word of God itself. So he begins to dig. What do you do when the reality around you does not meet the expectation that you have based off what God has told you? You dive into the Word. And so, Daniel digs. And he digs in hard places. Man, it's easy. It's easy. Well, no, it's actually it's not. I was about to say it's easy to dig to John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. But the reality is, is most people never even scuff the wax on John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. It's easy to turn to the kind of places where you find verses printed on coffee cups and daily tear-off calendars. Jeremiah is not one of those places, but when the chips are down, that's exactly where Daniel goes. And so he says this, in chapter 9 and verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, tormented by his captors, in the first year of Darius, the son of Asuras, by descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Daniel says, man... The expectation that I had based off what God promised is not the reality that I see before me. Now let me ask you this. If that's the case, who's got the problem? Is is God the problem? Or is the man who had an expectation apart from God's will the problem? So Daniel in faith says let's go look in hard places and so he looks to Jeremiah and you know what he finds a hard answer how long O Lord will Jerusalem lay desolate 70 years you understand that's problematic if you're already a full grown man 70 years, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. There's no shirking the responsibility. There's no workaround. There's no theology backflip that will fix this. It's 70 years, Daniel. 70 years. While you sit by the river in Babylon and weep. You know what the man of God does? He does this. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel knew what lay before him. He knew what lay before his people. He knew what lay in store for Jerusalem because he had read the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. A word that is contained specifically in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 14, where the prophet says this, 
The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I've spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all of his servants, the prophets, saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and then I will do you no harm. And yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon in that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And I will bring upon the land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves, even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So here you have Daniel longing for the glories of David the king and all of his house that came from it. Here you have him in a foreign land sitting by the waters of Babylon a people from whom God himself has taken their mirth away, and yet their tormentors and their captors demand mirth from them. You ever found yourself there? Having something demanded of you that you do not have the ability to produce. And they wept. And in desperation... Daniel turns himself not to the, 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 the joys of, of the Psalms, not to the, the difficult things of, of wisdom in the Proverbs, turns himself to the hard things of Jeremiah. Because when you're desperate enough, regardless of how hard it may be, the truth is the only thing that satisfies. And so he presses in. And he finds the truth 70 years, seven decades will be the desolation of Jerusalem. And as hard as that is to swallow, consider with me just for a moment the promise of God that reaches across generations. Man, Daniel, you talk about a well-saved man. 
I mean, if you're going to make a who's who's list of the Old Testament and faithfulness to God, I mean, Daniel's got to go up there with, I mean, it's a, that's pretty rare air, folks. That's like David, Abraham. You got to putting up there with, with Joseph. Here's a man faithful outside of his element when everything is against him and he has every excuse to be something else and yet he remains faithful to who he is and faithful to his God. I mean, this is some, this is some rare stuff. If it was going to be based on the, the value of men, here's a guy who ought to get a good shake. And he looks at the word of God and he knows he won't live to see it. And in the, in the midst of that wait, in the midst of that difficulty, the reality of, is this. Is after the first year, there will be the second, and after the second, there will be the third. And the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and all the way down until you get to the 69th, and then there's going to be the 70th. And in the 70th year, whether you're alive to see it or not, Daniel, in the 70th year, they're going back. Looks like this. It was fulfilled under Cyrus the Persian. It's recorded in Ezra chapter 1, where in verse 1 it says, In the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Moreover, Whoever is among you of all this people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now, we don't have time this morning as this is a broad overview, but I want you to consider the level of miracle that is required for a man who is an absolute heathen worshiper of demons specifically spoken of in scripture as having no heart for the Lord who does not revere him to wake up one morning and go you know what the Lord of heaven the Lord who is in Jerusalem has put it on my heart to build him a house and to do this thing. So all of you folks who are called by his name, even though I'm not one of them, all of you folks who are, up you go. And, and literally said, here's the credit card. <laughs> go and build and do. And so you have David the king. You have the captivity in Babylon and all the darkness that comes along with it and all of the despair and the weeping. How can we sing the songs of Zion when we're in a foreign land? My expectation is not matching up with the things that are in front of me. And yet, we know the Lord is true, so let's look to the Word and see. And Jeremiah says, it's going to work this way. And Daniel goes, okay. Okay. Now, at this point in time, he could go to crappie flopping like a fish on the pond bank, but he doesn't. What does he do? He turns his face to the Lord and he, 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 he pleads for mercy for his people. And in due time, Cyrus comes. And what looked to the eyes of men to be lost, all of a sudden has a glimmer of returning. 
But the return will not be easy. You know, if, if, if we were going to write this for a... I was going to say if we were going to write it for a Disney movie, but we all know if it was a Disney movie that Daniel would be a girl and probably Indian or something instead of Hebrew. If we were going to write this as a fairy tale... Then, then, then right here is the point where it would all come back together. We had hope and we had expectation and our hope was sound, but our expectation was flawed and we went through some hard things and we endured through the hard things and we searched the word of the Lord and found out the answer and, and we waited and now is the time for, for easy glory. But that is the furthest thing from the truth. It is not the time for easy glory. It is the time for labor. The kind of labor that breaks you down where you're never really the same again. The kind of labor that leaves your knuckles bent a limp in your step. I mean, come on, guys. What did you really think he meant when he said, pick up your cross? It looked like this. They didn't come back to the Jerusalem that they left. One of the most beautiful cities you'll ever see. Every hour of the day it changes color. I mean it is carved out of the white limestone of the Judean hills. In the morning it's pink. At noon it's blindingly white. When the sun sets, it's orange. And the place literally glows. They didn't come back to that. They didn't come back to Solomon's temple setting upon Moriah in a mercy seat waiting to receive the blood of a lamb. They came back to broken down walls and a burnt down palace and soot and vines and so the labor began and it looked like this in Judah it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing there is too much rubble by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall and our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. The work's too much. And, and focusing on it will ensure that your it will ensure that your flank is exposed. And at that time. The Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the peoples, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when your enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work. And half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. David the king. The decline and the fall of the kings and the captivity in Babylon and demanding mirth from their captors when there was no mirth and no voice of the bride or voice of the bridegroom. How can we sing the songs of Zion when we are in a foreign land in desperation looking to the word of God and finding the answer and it's going to be beyond you. And when the day finally comes, the labor is far from over. Everyone is against you. The work is too much. The rubble is more than you can handle. We are spread far and wide and men are working with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And even then, it is more than they can handle. They're spread far and they're attacked here and they're attacked there. And wherever you hear the sound of the horn blowing, then rally to that point because that is where our enemies are trying to undo us. This is the nature. This is the nature of the 14 generations that existed from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ. Oh, the Edomites shouted in Psalm 137, lay it bare, lay it bare, strip it to its foundations. They were about to get a hold of a foundation that they would not know how to deal with. Her foundations are not laid in stone. The book of Ezra, chapter 3. And I know we're all over the place here in the Minor Prophets. You understand all of this is is occurring concurrently. This is all happening at the same time. In Ezra chapter 3. As they're out there with the sword in one hand and the trial in the other. Half of them building, half of them carrying spears. They're enemies at every turn. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. And Yeshua, the son of Jozadok with his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel. You'll remember him from the genealogy. The most important man in the Old Testament that no one knows anything about. They built the altar of God in Israel. They built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the people of the lands. 
They offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept the feast of booths as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings and the offerings at the new moon and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord. The offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. And so they gave money to the masons and to the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the, and Joshua, the son of Josadok, made a beginning. Love that statement. They made a beginning. In the midst of all of this destruction, in the midst of all of this hardship, in the midst of all of this persecution while seeking after the things of the Lord with reckless abandon. Man, these guys did not even have the foundation of the temple laid yet and they were already about the things that God would have them be about. They were already about fulfilling the law, keeping the feast of booths, sacrifice in the morning, the evening, the new moons, all of the free will offerings. These things came first to them. You understand, if you're in the midst of rebuilding a wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, then the likelihood is, is that your circumstances at home are probably not ideal. Probably not ideal. But unlike the men who would speak to the Christ that this foundation testifies to, they didn't say stuff like, oh, I bought a field, I've got to go take care of it, or, oh, I've got to bury my dad. They turned themselves first to the worship of God. And they made a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward. From 20 years old and upward. If you're 20, we expect you to carry your weight. And so supervised the work of the house of the Lord. And Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Kadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites and their sons and brothers. And then when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Man, right there in the midst of it. And for the, the soccer moms and the t-ball dads, when you look at their circumstance, you go, man, how in the world can you be praising and worshiping in the midst of that? 
If you ask yourself, how in the world can you be praising and worshiping in the midst of that when you have to hold a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other and keep your boy right beside you, lest he be consumed by your enemies on the other side of the wall? The answer is, because for 70 years they sat in Babylon. And if you sit in Babylon for 70 years, all of a sudden, this doesn't look so bad. All of a sudden, a shovel and a pistol doesn't look so bad. As long as it's Jerusalem. They laid the foundation. Zerubbabel, 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 however you want to say it. His forefathers sat in a palace of cedar, the house of Lebanon, on a gilded throne that belonged to Solomon. He's sleeping on a patch of rock with dirt under his nails and soot on his face with hands that are equally at home either on a trowel or a sword. And they finally get to the point where they're laying the foundation of the temple. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the Father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. There were those that had known nothing but the captivity of Babylon. And they looked at what was and the foundation being laid and the hope for the future and they shouted for joy. But there were those that remembered the glory that had been before. And they wept. I would tell you that both is appropriate. That both is appropriate. For this foundation that is being laid is more than a foundation for a wall to stand on. It is indeed a signet. It is a seal. It is a sign of the fullness of the promise that is to come. And it is not simply a sign that is being set in stone. It is a sign, a seal and a signet that is being set in the men, the women, the boys, and the girls to which the promise comes. Most notably, to Zerubbabel himself. For in the book of Haggai in chapter 2, in verse 20 through 23. This man whose forefathers had sat on the throne of Solomon in the hall of David. This man with grit under his fingernails and soot on his face. Not king, but governor. About him 
the Lord says this. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. Lay a foundation. Make your sacrifice. Do the hard things. Be a signet. For I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, governor in Judah, I will take you, my servant, the son of Shiltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. I'm going to make you a seal. Grubby man in a broken down city. You know, nothing's whiter than white. And nothing is dingier than white when it's dirty. The white city of his father's was dirty. It was scorched and broken down. And after 70 years of no mirth and no voice of the bridegroom and no voice of the bride, They find themselves here under the orders of a pagan king and it is tooth and nail. And the word of the Lord came and said, You, buddy, you. And all your brokenness and all your difficulty and all your misery, with all the insurmountable odds that are around you, Lay a foundation, I will make you a signet. For I'm about to shake heaven and earth. Here in a couple of centuries, Matthew is going to set quill to parchment. And your name is going to be the last name that is mentioned in the Old Testament. What you're doing, laying this foundation, keeping my law, being zealous for my word, will be a signet ring, a sign of what is to come. Sure, it's hard. It speaks to the cross. Think it was going to be church camp? Speaks to the cross. So pick up your trowel and pick up your sword and be about my business. You want to know what he's a seal of? If you go back to the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Man, that's kind of harsh. God says, get the governor, get the priest. What do you think about what you've done? 
compared to what came before, compared to David, compared to Solomon. I mean, good grief. When the Lord told David that he didn't get to build the temple of God, but it was going to be his son that did it, David said, well, okay, at least I've put some stuff back to help the boy out. And what David had pigeonholed to help build the temple with, to give Solomon a head start, was of more value than the entire city at this point. And so the Lord comes to him and goes, hey, I want you to consider what you've built. Yes, Lord, we've, man, we've come all the way back from Babylon. Make straight the paths of the Lord. We've come all the way back from Babylon. Man, we have scratched this thing out tooth and nail. The, the trowel in one hand, the sword in the other. We have risked the lives of our women. We've risked the lives of our children. And here we are. When the horn blows, we rally to it. And the Lord, with the kind of sense of humor that he has, goes, okay, I want you to consider what you've done. And now remember what was. Is this not nothing to you? Comparatively speaking, what is this mess? Men are crying because they remember what it used to be like. And then he says this. I love a feel-good sermon. And he says this. Now be strong. Yet now be strong. You wore out. I know some of you are. This is where the people of God figure out the difference between fleshly hope and the gift of faith. Because fleshly hope says, if I can just make it around the next corner, if I can just, if I can just make, make it over the next hump, it'll be okay. And you get over it, and what do you see? Humps as far as the eye can see. This. This. This is the gift of faith. This is Ephesians chapter 2 kind of stuff. So after all of this, man, and you understand, like, like let's, let's have a little historic reality here. You understand that when this deal started, it started when the kings of the north came down it didn't end with the death of millions. It started with the death of millions. And it's been going on for almost a century at this point. And buddy, every time they get over the hump, the next hump's worse. And in the midst of that, not, not apart from it, but in it, he says, you're the sign. You're the signet. You're the seal. So weep and shout for joy and be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. All you people of the land, declares the Lord, work, for I am with you. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, 
I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The later glory of this house shall be greater than the former. In this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. When, when he's good and ready, be strong. Be strong. Peace will come. The the signet, the sign that Zerubbabel was proclaiming in laying this foundation was coming. He was going to walk in to this temple. He was going to take a whip in his hand. He was going to run out the thieves and welcome his own. There was a cross. in an empty tomb and blood on a mercy seat that would speak a better word than the blood of Abel. And in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of the 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to the coming of the Christ, The word of the Lord shone forth from Zion. A piercing and undeniable beacon that said the future glory of this place will be greater than what came before. Haggai and Ezra didn't have a corner on this. The Lord spoke through the prophet Zechariah. So if you're in Haggai, just like one page to the right. He spoke to the prophet Zechariah and he said, it looks like this in chapter 4, verse 1. The angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awaked out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said... I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamp that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? It's a great question. I'm glad he asked. We'd never figure it out if he hadn't. (laughs) What are these? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. 
Guys, we don't have time this morning. I'm wrapping it up. But the top stone is the same stone that Daniel saw that was cut by no human hand and grew to fill the whole world. It is the stone that the builders rejected. It is the stumbling block. It is the cornerstone. It is Jesus Christ. Grace, grace to it. Man, right here in the middle of squalor. When he could be sitting around going, my forefathers sat on the throne of Solomon. Well, wishing one hand spit in the other. He's concerned with something greater. A future glory that outshines the former. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the whole earth. And then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Because we still don't know. He hadn't told us yet. And the second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. These are the two witnesses of Jesus Christ and his gospel that are recorded in Revelation chapter 11. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, both the root and the descendant of David The crazy thing about the gospel is that you receive the promise of the end in the midst of the struggle. Got it. Got it. Buddy, what what Zerubbabel was doing... Man, the soccer moms and the t-ball dads ain't going to make it in that deal. And if he gets to looking back to what was, ain't going to make it. In the midst of that. In the midst of that. And it's not just, here's what's so crazy, and I don't even know how to wrap this up, and I'm out of time, and I... Here's what's so crazy. is it, it's, it's not even some generalized promise. It's, it's not just, hey, buddy, listen. I'm going to come through for you. It's going to be okay. The Lord will work it out in the end. That's not what he's saying. He's telling them specifics about the nature of the two witnesses in the unfolding of the revelation in smack dab in the middle of the tribulation. And he says, this is how it's going to go down. And you're the sign. You're it. Because, hey, buddy, you think rebuilding a wall's hard? You think laying a foundation for a temple is hard? Get ready for what's coming. A tribulation that has never existed before and will never exist again. And if I'm enough for my people in that day, then I'm enough for you right now. Be strong. Why? Because we're Mount Zion and we're tough. We ain't tough enough. We'll never be tough enough. Be strong. Because the future glory is greater than the former glory. That's why. Now friends, that's a word. 
these men were saved by the exact same grace that is offered in Jesus Christ to you today. These are our spiritual forefathers. You need to know who Zerubbabel was. Can't even say his name, but you know who he is. Because the promise of God came to him, and he made him something. He made him a sign, a foundation, and a signet. The promise of God comes to you. Oh man, it's not going to be easy. The moment you think, if I can just get over the next hump, is when you'll find out that there's more humps. <laughs> be strong. For he is with you. And that... And the future glory that comes with it is an incredible thing. And so as always, an invitation. Man, if you, if, if you don't belong to Christ, if you look at this stuff and you go, I, 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 don't, I don't understand where that kind of power, that kind of fortitude that kind of that kind of hope and that kind of contentment and, and that kind of certainty comes from, then then what you should do today is 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 run to Christ. You should repent. Not of not of the things you've done. You should repent of what you are. You should repent of what you are and run to Christ. And he is faithful to save you. He's faithful to save you. And then you can be strong. Man, his supply is crazy good. Come to Jesus today. I guess I could say that 27 different ways from now until one, but I digress. Let's pray.